And howdy. Welcome to another episode of the Steve Laidlaw podcast. I'm trying something new out here today. In our second segment, we've got Mark Shag on from the Hockey Writers to talk about the 2020 draft, some scouting philosophy, and his do not draft list for the 2020 draft. So there's some content there to get you ready for the NHL draft that I think we all know is coming sometime in the next month or so here. But before that, uh, going to try a little bit of a open uh, sort of rambling essay for myself on kind of the UFC, what happened this past weekend on their card, and how I think that might impact what takes place in hockey and some other sports and kind of my, my optimism and my pessimism for what lies ahead in these strange times and I think it kind of is going to be in line with what the original idea for this podcast you know almost a decade ago when it was first suggested to me to do something like this uh, when I was working for Dauber Hockey and Daryl he proposed do laying the law do do some rambling type stuff and uh, yeah this is going to be that so hopefully you like it i'm going to keep trying to do these things do some experimentation but without further ado we'll uh get into the pod how fun was it to have live sports again with ufc 249 going on saturday my goodness i needed that the nfl was a nice distraction so was tiger king i was going to watch the mj doc no matter what happened but I'm still kind of waiting for something revelatory to take place, and I'm guessing it's not coming because I know all these stories. I know how it ends. They win the title. He walks off. Don't get me wrong. I've left every episode of the MJ doc fired up when Roy Williams says that MJ was the only guy who could turn it on or off and that he never turned it off. Point me to the brick wall that you need broken down. I will run through it. But Saturday night, that was visceral. It was brutal. It was exciting. I was completely captivated. It was live sports that I was invested in, and it was awesome. I've been completely missing that. You know, I, I do think that we missed out on some of the atmosphere that you have with the live crowd in the UFC the walk-ups where some of the fighters were pantomiming, slapping hands. That that was weird. kind of reminded me of when the NBA player is on the free throw line shooting his technical free throws. There's no one else there, and he's, he's faking slapping hands to keep the routine anyways. The walk-up, that's where you really get to feel that crowd's energy in a way that matters. And if hockey, if basketball, if those sports come back without fans... I think we'll really miss it. I was rewatching uh, Mario Lemieux's five-goal game against the Rangers from that year. He comes back from cancer, and there's a roughly five-minute stretch without any stoppages after the Penguins take a five-minute major that puts the Rangers on a five-on-three, where it, like the the tension in the building is crazy and the energy is is absolutely palpably coming through the screen. You know, the Rangers get a few big chances and the tension builds. 
and then the Penguins PK starts stifling them and it continues to build. It's still a one goal game. The Rangers need this game in their playoff chase. The excellent Mike Lang at one point on the broadcast, he announces this kitchen is as hot as it can get, but then it gets even hotter. Madison Square Garden, it's, it's absolutely rocking. They're urging the Rangers on to tie the game and they start pressing and it eventually leads to the Penguins. They start reeling off shorthanded chances. Lemieux gets two on one and the other guy, he, he beats a young Corey Hirsch, but Kevin Lowe pulls it off the goal line and then Lemieux gets another break and then he's stifled. And then another break and he caps it all off with this shorthanded breakaway and he scores a shorthanded goal for a hat trick and now it's it's absolute pandemonium and you know five minutes of just pure adrenaline and and insanity and you know you're gonna have that end-to-end play in in the hockey games but without the fans i think some of that energy is lost i think it really fuels those hockey broadcasts but you know the ufc it sure didn't seem like they needed it on Saturday. Even that roar that you typically get after a significant strike and the crowd's egging the guy on to, to rush in and finish the guy. You know, Justin Gaethje, he had four or five times that he absolutely cracked and, and wobbled Ferguson. And all we had was the reaction from Anik, Rogan, and Cormier. And, and that was plenty enough for me. Like certainly the the first time Gagey cracks him and then he rushes in there and then he gets he has to eat an uppercut of his own and then he kind of learns from that and doesn't rush in a- anymore and if the fans are there is is he gonna rush in after the fact maybe but you know I don't think that we lost any of the adrenaline rush from seeing those those palpable cracks and if Ferguson wasn't such a fucking zombie then you know, he's probably going down and you're absolutely going nuts in your seat at home. But for whatever the the broadcast was missing, and I don't think it was that much, it's become abundantly clear the UFC can pull these fights off. And while it was a an awesome card with a bunch of great fights and awesome knockouts, they eventually pulled in over 700,000 pay-per-view buys. Like, John Jones doesn't pull in those kind of numbers all the time. So I think they're primed to take advantage of this sports vacuum. You know, by the time this pod comes out, they'll already have had another UFC event on ESPN. And there's another one coming this weekend. And you basically expect UFC events, now that they've shown they can do it, they're going to be coming out double time until the end of this pandemic because they've proven that they can do it and that there's demand for it. And they've also got the, you know, their contract, their rights deal with ESPN, no different than the NHL and the NBA. They, you know, they're contracted to put on so many events to get all their money. So they're going to do that. But the difference for the UFC is they can also put on these pay-per-view cards at 50 bucks a pop where they can really cash in and make more than what they're already contracted to do with ESPN. Now, I don't think this means UFC's popularity is going to completely take off, but they have the attention of anyone who's ever had interest in fighting. You know, 
cage fighting it's, it's big business but it's still niche enough that they're, they're not going to be able to sell it to people who don't have a taste for fighting and that's that's just going to be the case but that can prove advantageous for them you know they're not going to be as concerned with the public backlash about coming back there's enough money in the ufc to incentivize them to come back to work but not so much money that everyone's sitting at home fat and happy on on the stacks that they've earned and also dana white like he doesn't give a fuck he's a wild man who tried to host ufc events on an island which i'm pretty sure was the plot to <laughs> a direct video movie he doesn't give a shit about the popular opinion as long as there's enough of a market to sell his product he's gonna put on that product and like the fighters are even crazier than he is they put their lives on the line every time they step into the cage so some virus isn't going to scare them off you know i think a couple of the fighters were drinking beer together after their fight after beating the crap out of each other that's the culture of the sport i don't i don't think anything's going to stop them and the scale for the ufc is, is so much smaller than what's required for team sports i mean just the sheer volume of tests that you need to put on that you need to have to put on an nhl or an nba game where it's 12 on 12 or 20 on 20 uh, a half dozen games a day every day for a couple of months to do your playoffs well that's you know that's much much greater than what the ufc has to do to put on a fight card where it's one-on-one -on -one and they don't even have to quarantine their athletes for long periods of time which has been one of the major bones of contention for the nba and nhl players and i mean just circling back to hockey uh i think there's enough money and interest that the nhl they are going to come back and they can learn from some of what the ufc is doing right now and hopefully they can scale things up other pro leagues are probably going to start up as well and offer even even greater examples for for what the nhl can do uh, i'm really worried about what's going to happen to the lesser leagues because without fans in the stance and that could be still a very long way off none of those leagues are going to go you know we already saw the whl's portland winter hawks they declared bankruptcy this week and i mean bob mckenzie he reported that this wasn't even to do with the state of the franchise it had more to do with the with the state of the owner's main business but the chl the ushl the ncaa and, and maybe not even the ahl aren't going to be playing games next season and you could say the same for amateur sports in other leagues they're all gate driven so without fans to show up buy tickets buy concessions buy parking those leagues aren't going to play and so what happens if they don't and basically every amateur or lower level pro athlete loses an entire year of playing the sport that they're training to be professional in what does that mean for the nhl draft i mentioned it last week with alex mcclain 
but the NHL and, and the other pro leagues could be looking at losing their 2021 draft because they're going to be looking at a draft that's a complete crapshoot. If none of these amateurs get a chance to play, they're going to be basing things off of what they watched in 2019-20, like a full year and a half before their draft. And the players will have been like 15, 16 years old when when they were watching them last. And who knows where they're at now that they lost that year. Like there will be massive mistakes. So either that draft gets canceled and everything gets bumped to 2022 where holy mackerel, that's going to be a loaded draft class. It was already supposed to be loaded, but now you've got 18 and 19 year olds all in that draft class. Or they have the draft and just make errors upon errors upon errors. So I don't know what the answer is, but it's it's going to be tricky. And I think the NBA, it, it could be better positioned than the NHL on this front. They own their G League, so they could operate it at a loss and just to maintain that product and the stockpile of players. Plus, they're already starting to see top draft prospects are viewing this as maybe the most viable path to the NBA. And by reopening those leagues, even if all they're doing is playing in bubbles and, and televising the games, there's no fans and, and they operate at a loss, it could be a monopoly situation for the NBA. And suddenly now they are completely running their own feeder system. Would the NHL do something similar with the AHL? Could they? Like all these players have various contracts, whether it's with their with their NCAA schools or whether it's with their CHL. You know, the, there's the NHL CHL agreement. So could they put players in the AHL if the CHL is not even going? And I mean, the financials in hockey just aren't the same, and not all of the AHL teams are NHL owned. So it sure seems like an unlikelihood that they would be able to pull this off. But if there's no minor league team when the NHL is playing their 2021 season, they'll have to blow up their rosters and find some way to keep the players outside of their main roster playing and active in order to be available when injuries occur. Because, I mean, some seasons, players play almost... Like 40 different guys enter an NHL lineup over the course of a season. And then you think about it's going to be a, a compressed schedule and how damaging that can be to players. The, the requirement for injury fill-ins is going to be massive. And the timelines to get those players up when the games are going to be that much more tight together are going to be huge. Plus the lack of practice time, like they're going to want to be able to field massive I don't know, practice rosters basically so i think it, it would be easy enough to have the top drafted prospects who would otherwise have played in the chl and other minor leagues sign their pro deals and and come play in the ahl if they don't have the chl as an option but would that product become even more commercially viable if all of the NHL's future stars are coming up, you know, th this could actually be a boon for them. But otherwise, 
you know, what are the top prospects are going to do? They're, they're not going to waste an entire year. So you may see some of the best prospects in the game start flocking overseas, signing contracts this summer uh, and trying to find homes where they do have leagues going for next season. So there's only going to be so many spots for this stuff available. So it's going to be a huge game of musical chairs and only the lucky few with the right connections and notoriety and, and frankly, the willingness to take the risk to head over there that are going to be able to capitalize. But uh, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. And, you know, what I wonder is if there's no CHL, but the NHL finds a way to make the AHL viable, then could they also get some of the best undrafted players a shot at competing in the AHL? Like, could Shane Wright make the leap, play, you know, his, his draft minus one season in the AHL? Would that even be a good thing? Should we be allowing 16-year-olds to take that kind of risk in the middle of a pandemic? And, I mean, the list of questions goes on the more you keep picking at this. But the answer to these questions is one that could be absolutely game-changing for the way that we bring along prospects and develop amateur players and take them up to the NHL and higher levels. And certainly it's on Gary Bettman and his staff to take on the challenge, be like Daenerys Targaryen, break the wheel, come up with a solution to these questions. Okay, so that was part one of the podcast for this week, laying down the law on the UFC return to play scenarios, that sort of thing. Coming up, we've got part two, our interview with Mark Scheig of the Hockey Writers. Get you all ready for the 2020 NHL draft. It was a really fun interview. I hope you all enjoy it. Okay, I'm pleased to be joined here by Mark Scheig, who covers the Columbus Blue Jackets, Erie Otters, the OHL, and the NHL draft for the Hockey Writers as well as the Cleveland Monsters for Inside AHL Hockey. Mark, how are you? Steve, I'm very well. How are you today? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I'm, I'm highly caffeinated and uh, I'm ready <laughs> to rock. Um, no, I'm highly caffeinated too, so let's do this. <laughs> right on. Are you emotionally and mentally prepared for an NHL draft in the next month? Well, we did, all the talk has been we got to get an early draft. We got to get a June draft. So. Am I mentally prepared for it? No, I, I probably could be a little better off. But overall, if it were to happen, yeah. I mean, this would be the time of the year that we would normally be preparing for an NHL combine, which is normally beginning in June, and then soon after that it's a draft. So it's sort of off-season mode as it is if your team would normally be out of the playoffs by now. So, so it's different in one sense, but in some senses it's sort of the same, especially if they're building to a June draft. So I guess depending on how you look at it, we're ready in one sense, but it still feels really weird. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. Like emotionally, I'm ready to take the plunge into whatever hockey content they they want to provide for us. But uh, right. ment mentally, I'm, I'm not quite ready for it. Um, mm -hmm. How important do you think it is uh, for you to be scouting all different levels of hockey 
uh, to kind of inform how you see the game? Yeah, you know, it, it's huge. I mean, especially if you're going to write articles about who to draft, who not to draft, and put your opinion out there and your reputation. You better study different leagues around the world. You better be able to talk to a lot of players. You better be able to talk to a lot of coaches. And, you know, I feel that I've done that. You know, being in the OHL, being able to talk to almost every OHL draftee that comes through personally, being able to talk to their coach, being able to talk to their opponents. Got that league down pretty good. But then when it comes to some of the other leagues, it's important to watch the games, watch tape, you know, be able to talk with other people. Now, I think networking is so huge because there's a lot of us out there that, you know, see the game and maybe see different things. And to be able to talk and ask questions, I mean, your reputation's on the line and you have to take that very seriously. I mean, you've got to come prepared with why you think a certain player, you know, how they're going to do. And you know that people are going to come and either question you or maybe even put you, try and put you in your place a little bit. So, you know, it's, it's all about preparation. It's all about covering all your bases. It's of utmost importance. So what's the, uh, what's the biggest thing or, uh, you know, an important takeaway that you've uh, learned from conversations you've had with other folks? Is to keep an open mind, Steve. And, you know, a lot of us, you know, we see something and then, you know, we kind of get excited about thinking, oh, oh, we got a, this is definitely it, but that's only such a small sample. We have to, being open-minded, you need, you need to be receptive to what other people are saying because they might see something that you don't see that might be an important element to a certain player. And I made the mistake early on of being kind of set in my ways and being a little bit hard headed on, no, you're not, I see what I see. You're not going to convince me otherwise, but over the course of time, you know, I've realized well, that's really not the good, a good way to go because you find out that a lot of the things that you think you know, later on you're proven wrong and ultimately you didn't know. And had I have kept an open mind early on and talked to people and respected their opinion, I would have been in a much different place. I probably would have done a lot better with certain prospects. So that's the big thing. That sounds to me a heck of a lot like the growth mindset. And I think that's, uh, that's wisdom that we can only learn through time, through, through yep. our many failures. Mm -hmm. Amen to that for sure. Uh, so I really wanted to pick your brain regarding your do not draft list, which you released yes. on hockey writers about a week ago. I, I was able to dig back to 2017. I think is the, the first time that you came up with this list. Where did yep. you come up with this idea? And can you kind of give, uh, give the folks a general idea of the Yep. So proper credit, I you know fantasy sports people know the name Eric Carabell, who is on ESPN. He always came out in fantasy football and I believe in fantasy baseball as well with a do not draft list. And the idea was, you know, it says do not draft, but these are players that are going to be drafted. And these are players that are going to be drafted very high. You know, most of the, some of them in the first round and some of them later on. But the idea is to look for value or in other words, is where a particular player consensus wise going, should you draft them there? And if I feel like that there's concerns, when I say do not draft in this position, I think that's the key is that in a certain spot, like, 
the top of my list was Tim Stussel. And a lot of people know that he's going to be one of the first names called in the draft. So why is he going to do not draft this? But there's an idea out there that um, he should go second overall and not Quentin Byfield. And my point simply is, don't get cute there. Quentin Byfield, I know he didn't have the greatest world junior. He had injuries. But gosh, in the games that he played, he was absolutely dominant and in my mind did more than enough to solidify the number two spot. I just feel like that his upside is so much higher than Stussel's is. So that's why, that's why I say do not draft Stussel second overall. Um, then I go down to the next one. I put, I put both Cole Perfetti and Marco Rossi. They're six and seven on my list. So they're going to be really highly drafted. I love both players. They each bring different things. But I said don't draft them in the top five. I actually have questions about both of them in terms of what they can be at the next level. I think they're both going to be great at the next level. But Cole, but Cole Perfetti's skating is not, you know, he's average, maybe a little bit above average, but it's not elite. And Marco Rossi, as we know, five foot nine. Can he be a number one center at the next level? There's not too many five nine centers. And I know that there's scouts out there that want to do the same thing. So I'm not saying don't draft them. I'm just saying if you're holding the number four pick, there, I think there's other people out there. You know, Lafreniere is going to go number one. I feel like Byfield's going to go two. Stussel's third on my list. I have Jamie Drysdale, who I cover in Erie, and I know really well, and talking to him and covering him all year. I have him fourth, and I have Lucas Raymond fifth. So it's, it's preference. So I have those five guys over those two, and I'm saying that you better be sure. If you have a top five pick, you can't blow it. And if you're convinced that Cole Perfetti is going to be that guy, then do it. If you feel like Marco Rossi's a number one center is going to be dominant, do it. But you had better be sure. And in my mind, I just feel like that there are more players I'd rather have in the top five than those two. Interesting. So it's, it, it's all about value. And yep. um, yeah, I, I kind of made my bones in this business as a fantasy hockey guy. And certainly mm -hmm. throughout the year making my lists, I've always kind of like had guys that I've known I'm not going to be able to draft them because other people are going to draft them way higher than I'm willing to. But I never right. took the actual leap to a, a do not draft list. So they say that the uh, the best people steal and I, I'm definitely going to steal that from y'all. Now, listen, I mean, it, it it's it's great because, you know, I took I got the I got the idea from somebody and you can apply it to whatever you're trying to do. And I'm always interested because different people are going to have different views. Like your do not draft list will probably be different than my do not draft list. But it, I value what people say because they're obviously seeing something. And I feel like that I need to keep that in mind. I might not agree with it, but I at least need to keep an open mind about it. So yeah, if, if you do, I certainly would read it. Right on. So I noticed uh, in, in your first article in 2017, the first uh, do not draft list, you had no goalies in round one. Was that just for that year? Or is that something that it's kind of an overarching theme for you where you just don't think there's value in goaltenders in the first round? There is, if you feel like that he's going to be like the next hall of famer, like I did bring up, Yaroslavis Karoff in this year's do not draft list. I said don't draft in the top 10. You know, I, I can honestly see a spot, you know, where he can go in the top 10 depending on which team is there. Like the Chicago Blackhawks make way too much sense. Like if they pick eighth overall, 
if, if they feel like that he's the guy, then I could totally see that and it makes sense and I wouldn't have a problem with it. But yeah, the overarching theme to me, like I remember um, Spencer Knight going last year, end up going, I want to say like 13th or something like that in the first round. Going to be a great goalie, but man, there's not, there's just not many of the really great goalies, like the Martin Brodeurs of the world, the Marc-Andre Fleury's of the world, that end up going first overall. You just don't see as many goalies go early as we did in years past. And look at some of the names now. I, like Just thinking off the top of my head, I cover Columbus, Elvis Merzlikens, Jonas Corposalo. Basically, it's their 1A and their 1B. Both guys went in the third round. So it's like, you know, they, they have a great goaltending situation. You, it seems like that you're using your earlier picks on your franchise forward, your franchise defenseman, and you can land a stud goalie later. And it just seems like that we're seeing that more and more and more. But if someone like Iskarov comes along and you think he's Hall of Fame worthy, I mean, like I said in the article, you just had better be sure that you're right in your assessment because taking Iskarov in the top 10 there's a lot of guys that are really good that you're passing up. Like if you're sitting fifth and you feel like this Karoff is the guy, you know, you're, you're not drafting Cole Perfetti then. You're not drafting Marco Rossi. You're not drafting Alexander Holtz. I mean, there's a lot of guys. you got to make a hard decision um, in that spot. And that's why I'm saying, you know, you can wait and get some pretty good goalies. In fact, one of the Blue Jackets guys in the system, that's probably their highest upside guy was drafted middle of the draft because of um, injury concern, but yeah, he could be their number one goalie of the future. So there's, there's a lot that you can do later in the draft on goaltending. Yeah. It, it sure seems to me like goaltending. I mean, the, the hit miss rate on first round goaltenders, it, it's like 50%. And yep. it seems almost like goalies are simultaneously like quarterbacks where no one has any freaking clue how to scout them they don't know what they're looking for and then mm -hmm. um their value is so outsized like you said if they do hit if they are a hall of famer then you've hit the jackpot but if they yeah. fail then it, it, it's totally miserable and and the really interesting part is they're also as you referenced they're kind of like running backs in the sense that they seem to be coming out of nowhere and mm -hmm they're they, you know they're turning into this situation where they're almost fungible like in in Columbus where the yeah. defensive system and the coaching and all that stuff uh, allows you to take these these talents from uh from lower levels of the draft or not even drafted talents and, and turn them into quality tandem pieces yeah Steve I'm going to give you a name right now somebody in Erie that he's on the central scouting list but he had a rough year, and a lot of people are going to overlook him. But I can tell you, seeing it with my own eyes, how many NHL teams were there to watch him. And the guy's name is Aiden Campbell. Now, he is projected to most likely be the starter for the Otters in 2020-21, whenever that season starts. But he's six foot five. He's a freakish athlete. Um, you know, he adjusted to the league last year, so it was a little bit of a struggle for him. But you could see little flashes of him, you know, you know, one point something goals against average in the league coming in the year prior. And you, you just don't find six foot five freakish athletes who can be really good goaltenders on trees. 
He's he's probably going to go late in the draft, like sixth round, seventh round. He's he's ranked twenty eighth on the goalies list. That's that's the kind of player I'm talking about where the elements are there. I'm not saying he's the next great thing. You know, I, I think he's going to be good. He has Shane Clifford working with him as the same guy that worked with Carter Hart before he got to Philadelphia. So there's definitely elements there that I feel like that he could be a real steal, but that's the point. It's you need to look at individual situations, you know, possibly later in the draft because a lot of it gets overlooked. And, you know, the better the scouting department that you have on your team, the ones that go to Europe, the ones that go around the world and see all these guys, you can get the real value out there. And it's untapped. You know, there's certain teams that do well with it. There's others that don't have as much of a European scouting presence, but those that get it, get it. And, you know, they, they land great talent. Yeah. It, from from your description of it, he kind of sounds like he's the Blue Jackets type of goalie. Look, yeah, that's that's just it. I mean, you know, when they looked at Corpusala, they looked at Elvis. I mean, that's they make it a point to draft at least one goaltender in every draft. So even though the goalie situation in Columbus looks great right now, I mean, just look at who they have right now. I mentioned the two already. They have Kiv Lennox, who's in Cleveland, who went up to the NHL for a little bit when there was injury. Then I haven't even brought up um, Vini Vevelainen, um, who, who is projects to be an NHL starter. I mentioned Tarasov. And then they have a kid in, um, in North Dakota, Peter Tomei. So the, the, they were all drafted late. And that's a credit to the scouting department in being able to find value later in the draft and these guys are really really good goaltenders yeah it kind of sounds like they're uh they're a bit like the baltimore ravens in in that they draft a uh, specific position every single year they got they got to have at least one more coming up the pipeline yeah steelers uh, and wide receivers too same thing good yeah, point. no doubt uh I wanted to ask you about uh, Jan Misak, who you listed both on your do not draft list and on your must have list. So, I mean, I, I think I kind of get how, how this is all about value and, and that's yep. how you can kind of talk out of both sides of your mouth, but I'll, I'll let you explain it. Yep. That's a great question. I know a lot of people wondering how can he possibly be on both lists, but you hit, you hit it on the head, Steve, it's value. And on my ranking, Meshach comes in between 16 and 20. So if I'm holding the 14th pick in the draft, in my mind, I believe that there are basically 14, 15 players that I'd rather have over Meshach. So I'm not going to use the 14th pick on him because I feel like I can get a better player. But if we're now down to 16, 17, 20, especially after 20, if I'm sitting at 22 and he's still out there, like I couldn't get to the um, stage fast enough to be able to get him it's just that that's how I view the player I've, I've seen when he came over to Hamilton you know he just started tearing up the OHL kind of like what he did internationally so it's easy to see why the hype is there but then the question you have to consider is is what he brings to the table better in my mind than some of the other guys so I started comparing him it's like okay who would I rather have? So I start comparing. Like, would I rather have Perfetti or Meshach? I'd rather have Perfetti. Would I rather have Holtz or Meshach? I'd rather have Holtz. Lundell or Meshach? I'd rather have Lundell. Gundler or Meshach? That's a great question, depending on what you think of Gundler and the attitude, but I still think I'd rather have Noel Gundler with the skill. 
So it's just like, okay, where does he slot in? And then being able to apply it to both lists, if I'm sitting at 12, I'm not going to draft Meshach. But if I'm sitting at 22 and he's there, I can't get there fast enough. So it just depends where you're at, what's available, and how you value the player. And so you think he's the most liable guy in the draft to kind of jump up way too high or fall too low? Like the, the range of outcomes for him is, is crazy large? Him, yeah, him and Gundler are, very, are two guys, that, and, and even a scare off to a point, are wild cards, depending upon what team you're talking about and how they view the player. Um, absolutely, the, 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 there's a variance there. I think Gundler can fall out of the first round if, there's, if everybody thinks that the attitude problems are, um, are too big of a risk but he's got top 10 skill. So if a team values the skill and can overlook the attitude, he could go in the top 10 very easily. Um, Mishak's the same way. Um, doesn't have the attitude problems um, that um, Gundler has been known to have, but depending on what you think the upside is, he there's some that out there that think that he's a top 10 skill, and then there's others that think that he's not a first-round talent. So it just depends on what you individually think of the player. Interesting. Well, Mark, this was uh, this was a lot of fun. It was very informative. I, I'm thankful that I stumbled upon your work this year. The uh, the do not draft list is awesome. I encourage everyone to check that out over at the Hockey Writers. Uh, Mark, do you do you have anything else you want to plug for the folks before you check out? Oh, just uh, you know, the draft is coming up. Now we have the. If you're bored, you want something to read, and you want all the draft content you can have, um, just want to give a shout-out to Joshua Bell, who's with us. He's the one that is the mastermind this year of our um, draft guide. So if you want a player profile of the top players, if you want features, if you want interviews, there, there's literally so much um, that we cram in there, and we're going to continue to add different things like I know I'm going to be starting to work on the teams that have the most pressure at the draft so we try to focus on some of the most important questions and then we turn it um, into content so just follow us at the hockey writers and we'll make sure that you guys are all over prepared for the draft well that's excellent your, your stuff has been absolute catnip for me and uh, yeah we've got Josh Bell coming on the pod uh, later so very excited for that yeah no he's a great he, he's wonderful and he watches so many players, you know, everything that he says. I mean, I just, I shut up and listen. He's that good. Right on. I'll have to, I'll have to remind myself to do that uh, when, when I have him on. Awesome. Okay. Take care, Mark. Yep. You too, Steve. Thanks. Okay, everyone. That's the show for this week. Hope you all enjoyed uh, the new mix that we threw in there. Certainly, uh, I'll be doing a lot more podcasts here focusing on the 2020 NHL draft with my suspicion being that we're going to see that draft coming up here in the next month or so. More NHL redraft pods coming on the way as well. I got Tony Ferrari on the pod for the 05 redraft. Lucas Main, we're redrafting 07. Uh Big stick tap to Mark Shag for coming on the pod here. Give him a follow at Mark Shag, S-C-H-E-I-G, and find his work over at the Hockey Writers. He had an excellent few pieces this week that just demanded that I have him on the pod. And 
probably going to steal some of his ideas going forward. So once again, like, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Thanks again. Bye now.